Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the first chapter of Galatians. We're going to be doing an expository verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. Welcome. This is the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome to the show, guys. I can't tell you how many people I talk to, whether in person or online, who uh, doubt their salvation. They see the works in their life. They're not measuring up. Maybe maybe they don't tithe enough. Maybe uh, they don't attend church enough. Maybe they don't witness enough. It, you know, Maybe they don't control their mouth enough. So many of these different factors. Uh, they question their salvation. So many more approach me uh, of the Messianic type, the Hebrew roots type, and even some who are part of various cults out there, who when you ask them, do you have the assurance of salvation? Do you know for a fact that you will be saved? And they don't have an answer. They don't know. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to start an expository verse by verse. That means we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Galatians, and we're going to look at a a situation uh, where Paul, he had visited the Galatians uh, on two different occasions, had spread the gospel there. The people in Galatia had received the gospel. A church was born. It was growing. It was thriving. It was doing great. And then a group called the Judaizers show up and start preaching another gospel, a gospel that says that you must be circumcised and then you must follow all of the Mosaic law in order to be saved. This book actually addresses so many of these issues uh, concerning works versus salvation by faith, uh, by grace through faith alone. This uh, series that we're going to be going through, uh, we're going to be doing one chapter per episode, and I don't believe I'll be releasing all six, you know, because there's six chapters in Galatians, all six episodes in a row. I'll be mixing in other podcasts as we go here, but these six episodes, we're going to go cover to cover through the book of Galatians, explaining uh, nearly every verse, looking at every nook and cranny, kicking over every rock. We're really going to look this through. Now, in the process, because we're on this topic, we're going to look at uh, several other very difficult situations because, hey, uh, this podcast is about apologetics. So we're going to be looking at all kinds of difficulties throughout the book of Galatians. And then Uh, Tying into that, many other instances throughout the Bible that touch on the same subject. For example, in the book of James, uh, it says that Abraham was justified by his works. Is that a Bible contradiction? Or are we really justified by works? What's going on there? We're going to look at uh, the unpardonable sin. In the book of Hebrews, it says that if you if you are a believer and you willingly sin, you are therefore trampling Christ under your feet and the only thing you have to look forward to is death, hell, and suffering. Uh, is that the case? Is that really, when you read it at face value, uh, it seems to be saying that, but is that really what's going on there? We're going to look at that chapter in context sometime in this study. Uh, Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. In 1 John, John says uh, that those who love God keep all his commandments. Oh man. So law versus grace. We're going to be looking at, uh, must a Gentile believer follow all the Mosaic law? Yes, I know. We just finished a series recently on the Hebrew Roots Movement where we pretty much banged that out. Uh, But this is a series that was recorded uh, at a Calvary Chapel in Berthoud, Colorado. And a lot of these 
you know, there's going to be some overlap with that series. Not too much, though. Believe me, guys, it's going to be a lot of fresh content. Yes, there will be a little overlap, but that's okay. That just means good review, right? Uh, we're also going to be looking at what, what's the difference between justification and sanctification, and why does it matter? So, uh, yes, I'm looking forward to this. I hope you guys really enjoy this. This is going to be a little bit different format, not my typical youth apologetics training style format. It's actually, you know, me up in front of a church preaching. So you're going to hear me get my preach on. Uh, but I hope you enjoy it. Everybody that was in attendance for, for these sermons uh, really enjoyed them and had a good time and learned a lot. So in, in, in the process, I learned quite a bit in putting these studies together because you know, when you when you do this kind of expository verse by verse uh, teaching, it, it doesn't matter how long you've been reading the Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you read it through. You find out so much more. You learn so much more. It, it's funny, of all the notes and all the neat uh, things that I found as I was studying through this series and getting these teachings prepared, only like ten percent actually makes it out during the teachings in front of the church. You just you learn so much. You are so, a person is so blessed by putting studies like this together. You just, you end up finding so much more than you normally would have just reading through uh, a book of the Bible. Because with this type of, of studying, you really get down and dirty. You're busting out all the lexicons, the dictionaries, uh, piles of commentaries, and um, you start cross-referencing it with other books of the Bible. It's a lot of fun. So anyway, without wasting more of your time, let's jump into this. This will be Galatians chapter 1. So yeah, we're going to be talking about the book of Galatians over the next couple weeks. Um, I'm thinking probably six weeks is going to be the length of the study. I'm going to try to do one chapter uh, every week. And there's six chapters, so I'm going to try for six weeks. Uh, Galatians was written by Paul. Uh, when he was in Corinth, most likely. At least that's what people believe. It was somewhat of a, a quick epistle in response to something that was going on in Galatia. Uh, Paul had been there twice. He had ministered to the Galatians. Uh, they had received the gospel, and they were excited about it. But then a group that the Bible refers to as the Judaizers showed up and started undermining what Paul had done, what he had preached, his gospel there in Galatia, with a gospel that was based off of works. And so uh, rather than basing their, their salvation on what Christ did on the cross, they started believing that it was the cross plus following the dietary guidelines as prescribed by Moses in the Old Testament. Grace plus... Uh, observing every Sabbath exactly how it's, you know, how it's supposed to be observed uh, uh, for the Jews. Observing all the feasts uh, and circumcision. Uh, I believe there are 613 various laws in the Old Testament. And these Judaizers, uh, uh, they believed in Jesus, or so it seemed, but they were pushing another gospel on the Galatians. And so... Uh, Paul, he finds out about this. And, I mean, he grabs his ink, he grabs some parchment, and he just rips into this thing. And to our knowledge, this is the first time he's written an, ep uh, an epistle with his own hand. Kind of strange. But we, uh, uh, why is that? I don't know. He always dictated his epistles to a secretary. Uh, many scholars believe it's because uh, Paul had some kind of an eye problem. You know, he, he uh, prays while he's in jail, God, please take this thorn from my side. And some people believe it was some kind of an eye problem. Uh, he also mentions at one point that uh, a group of people would have ripped out their very eyes and gave them to him. Uh, but whatever the case, it's believed that he had some kind of an eye problem. It even says, uh, look at these large letters that I write in. And so... Whatever the case, Paul writes this with his own hand. He's really disturbed about what's going on in Galatia. So a quick outline of the book. It's so easy 
to memorize this outline. Uh, the outline of Galatians is just, it's perfect. And I wish I would have made a slide for it. I will have a slide next week. It's very simple though. Chapters 1 and chapters 2. It's broken up into groups of two. So three groups of two. Chapters 1 and 2 are personal. Paul uh, is defending his apostolic authority. His, his apostleship has been challenged, and he's defending that, and he's also defending his gospel. Okay, So chapters 1 and 2, personal. Chapters 3 and 4 are doctrinal. And this is where he gets into the nuts and bolts and he throws down doctrinally. Okay? And he proves the inferiority of the law under grace. Okay? Grace is what Christ, I mean, Christ died on that cross. He said, paid in full to tell us die. He paid for our sins in full. Um, and now we are under grace. Okay? Chapters five and six are practical. And that, uh, uh, that's where we start thinking it through and saying, wait a minute, okay, so if we're under grace, is it okay for us to sin? Is that cool? I mean, at this point, do we have a license to sin? And so he deals with those questions in chapters five and six. So it's re- I mean, it's really easy. One and two, personal. Three and four, doctrinal. And five and six, practical. So in the book of Romans, we have the most complete theological presentation of the gospel. And I, I really hope someday to teach through the book of Romans. It's it's amazing. There's so much there. I mean, you could camp out on that book for a long time. In Galatians, you see that gospel challenged, and you see Paul defend it, okay? Legalism. You know, it, the, the entire book of Galatians could probably be summed up in one little phrase, law versus race. There's this massive problem of legalism. And and guys, it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't there be a legalism problem? I mean, think about it. For, uh, what was it, about 1,400, 1,500 years, the Jews have been living under the Mosaic Law. You know? Aliens. Uh, <laughs> they've been living under this Mosaic Law. They've been following it to a T. And every time they step to one side or the other of the law, stuff happens, okay? They, they get attacked, or uh, uh, Jerusalem gets sacked, or this or that. You know, their, their sins and their sidestepping of that Mosaic law and doing exactly what God told them to do every time something would happen, okay? And so when they get to the time of Christ... They've got tunnel vision. I mean, they're just like, no, no, we have the law. This is what we do. This is what God has taught us to do. And for many of them, they totally missed the Messiah. Okay? On top of that, they had uh, their oral traditions. But we'll get to that as we go here. Uh, and so um, this whole idea of legalism, it was a major, major problem. For the Galatians, a major problem. Uh, it was a major problem for the early church, and it has continued to be a major problem all the way up to the present day. Legalism. Uh, if, if you were to sum up the greatest problem of the early church, it was legalism, obviously, but it still finds its roots in so many believers even today. Uh, I would imagine even in this room, see, you know, we, we all get great teaching here, but we don't just get fed here. You know, we all geek out on the internet and we read various articles. Some of us listen to podcasts because we're total geeks. Some of us are watching videos. Some of us are reading books that may or not be good. We're all getting fed from various places. And a lot of these sources will have uh, some of that legalism mixed in. And so, um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when Danielle and I, and my parents actually, uh, we went to a very hyper-charismatic church for a while, and that's where I got saved. Um, and in this church, not only were they very hyper-charismatic, but they were also very messianic. If you guys are familiar with that movement, I wish Bill and Patty were here, because they're very familiar with that movement. And they have a very solid understanding of uh, 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 the, the Jewish side of our faith, but yet they keep it real, and they understand law versus grace. They're, they're, they're a great couple to tap on this subject. 
But in this messianic slash hypercharismatic congregation, we had the guilt loaded on us. I mean, if you didn't observe the Sabbath, if you weren't eating exactly the dietary laws, this, that, and the other, you started questioning your salvation. You started wondering, am I even saved? You know? And I can't help but wonder if some people here or others listening online might have that same issue. I struggled with that for years. Am I really saved? Like, I'm trying. I'm doing my best, but gosh, I'm not really tithing too much. Am I tithing enough? Am I am I out there witnessing enough? Am I controlling my mouth enough? You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm not a Christian. Well, if you guys have those issues, if you have those struggles, this is the book for you. Because in this book, those issues are dealt with. And I mean, they are dealt with. <laughs> they are pounded down. So, Everybody crack open your Bibles. We're going to finally get to the scriptures here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We'll start. Uh, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised himself from the dead. And right away, Paul starts defending his, his apostleship. Because what ended up happening is these, these Judaizers, this group of people, uh, in order to undercut Paul, they had to attack his character. So they did kind of a, a one-two punch on him. They did two different things. They uh, First, they, they slandered his character and attacked straight towards him. Uh, in logic, you'd call it ad hominem, you know, to the man, a personal attack. It's kind of like when I go online and I'm in various forums and I'm talking to atheists, and as soon as they find out that I'm a young earth creationist, rather than dealing with the arguments and the merits of those arguments, they right away they just call you a name. They call you a creatard. Okay? You ever heard that one before? There's a new one for you. You're a creatard. Okay? If you disagree with the current administration, what do they call you? They call you racist. You know what I'm saying? You disagree with some of the decisions that, the, 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 that are happening right now, and you're suddenly a racist. If you believe in traditional marriage, uh, will they argue with you and debate some points with you? No, they'll call you a bigot or a hater or a homophobe. They attack you personally. Uh, secondly, what the Judaizers, that's so hard for me to say, the Judaizers put a motive into Paul's mouth. They actually made up a motive for him. Basically, uh, what Paul was trying to do was he was trying to dumb down the gospel. He was trying to make a seeker-sensitive gospel for the Galatians, uh, and and basically diminish the role of the law in salvation, so that the the Gentile church would swallow this gospel a little easier, kind of a, a Joel Osteen gospel or something. And so, anyway, that that was kind of the one-two punch. So right away, Paul defending his apostle apostleship, and so going on to verse two, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, I love this. This is a really common greeting that you see in Paul's epistles. Grace, charis in the Greek, was a very common Greek greeting. And peace, shalom, was a very common Hebrew or Jewish greeting. And so you could almost feel like, you know, Paul is, is right up front saying that middle wall of partition has come down between Jew and Greek. Grace and peace. I'm going to greet you with the Greek, the common Greek greeting, and the common Hebrew greeting. Love it. And so moving on, verse 4, uh, who gave himself for our sins. So he's still talking about Jesus Christ. And from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. And so right away, Paul is setting the tone for the letter. Salvation is a gift. It's not something we earn. It's free. It's a gift. Now, when we move into the next verse, and some verses following, things get really dark. Okay, Like I said, Paul is pretty worked up here. He's kept himself under control until right now. Now he lets loose. Uh, because... What is happening here in Galatia with these Judaizers is very serious, as we're going to see. 
And so he lets fly a, a, an extreme warning to these guys. Okay? And it goes like this. Verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. What? Yeah. And then he, he repeats it. As we've said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. I mean, that's heavy duty. We're talking about an eternal damnation here. Does Paul apologize later in the letter? No. He was dead serious. This was a big deal. Uh, he says something very similar uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to, I think, 25. Uh, I'll skip over that, but very similar uh, statement. Jesus says something somewhat similar in Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. You want to bring that up? Whosoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. Pretty serious. So, as I was reading through many various commentaries that I have uh, in preparation for this study, I stumbled upon a story that, as far as I know, is a true story. And it was pretty shocking to me, and I think it makes the illustration very well what's going on here and how Paul's feeling, okay? It goes something like this. It's, it's, it's about a woman and her baby. She's on a train ride through a winter storm up through the eastern states, okay? And it goes like this. It was, a, it was a very wintry day. Outside, a terrific storm was blowing, snow was falling, and sleet covered everything. The train made its way along slowly because of the ice on the tracks, and the snowplow went ahead to clear the way. The woman seemed very nervous. She was to get off at a small station where she could be met by some friends. And she said to the conductor, You'll be sure to let me know the right station, won't you? Certainly, he said. Just remain here until I get, get to the right station, and I'll tell you. She sat rather nervously and again spoke to the, to the conductor. You won't forget me? No, just trust me. I will tell you when to get off. Pausing right there. I just did a 39-hour train ride in China, and I get it. <laughs> I get it. We're riding in that train, my dad and I, and for 39 hours that morning when we knew we were getting close, okay, everything's in Chinese. It's not like, you know, the voice comes over a speaker and says, you have reached Chengdu. You know what I'm saying? It didn't happen. So we're, we're just kind of sitting there and we're asking around, but nobody speaks English. So uh, one of our guys finally you know, talked to some people in Chinese and they helped us out. But I, I get it. Like, that's kind of sketchy. And we weren't dealing with a snowstorm, okay? We did not want to miss our stop. Uh, and so anyway, a commercial man sat across the aisle and he leaned over and said, pardon me, but I see you were rather nervous about getting off at your station. I know this road well. Your station is the first stop after such and such a city. Uh, these conductors are very forgetful. They have a great many things to attend to, and he may overlook your request. But I will see that you get off all right. I will help you with your baggage. Oh, thank you, she says, and leans back, greatly relieved. By and by, the name of the city she mentioned was called, and they leaned over and said, next stop will be yours. As they drew near to the station, she looked around anxiously for the conductor, but he did not come. You see, said the man, he's forgotten you. I'll get you off. And he helped her out with her bag baggage, and as the conductor had not come up to open the door, he opened it, and when the train stopped, he stepped off, lifted her bags, and helped her off. And in a moment, the train moved on. A few minutes later, the conductor came and looking all about said, why, that's strange. There was a woman here who wanted to get off at the station. I wonder where she is. 
the commercial man spoke up and said, yes, you forgot her, but I saw that she got off all right. Got off where? The conductor said, when the train stopped. But that was not a station. That was an emergency stop. I was looking after that woman. Why, man, you have put her off in a wild country district in the midst of all this storm where there will be nobody to meet her. There was only one thing to do, and although it was a rather dangerous thing, they had to reverse the engine and go back a number of miles. And when they went out to look for the woman, they searched and they searched, and finally somebody stumbled upon her. She was frozen on the ground with her dead baby. She was a victim of wrong information. Now, as far as I know, that's a true story. If it is such a serious thing to give somebody wrong directions in matters that just affect their life, that can end their life and the life of their baby, how much more serious is it when we give, or somebody gives wrong directions that can influence somebody's eternal soul? That's really serious right there. That's not just something... We generally just flippantly give our worldview to the people around us and have no idea how serious that really is. And so when Paul comes out and says, if we or an angel preach any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be accursed. He was not messing around because it's not... It's, it's not a little thing to lead somebody astray with the wrong directions. Now, these uh, Galatians, I'm sorry, the Judaizers, uh, you know, what was their error? They believed in Jesus, right? They read the scriptures, the ones that were at that point written, right? Okay, what was their error? Well, let's, let's look at that for a second. Mormons. They believe in Jesus, right? They read the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe in Jesus. They read the Bible. Uh, uh, Seven-day Adventists, they believe in Jesus. They read the Bible. Roman Catholics believe in Jesus and read the Bible. What do these all have in common, along with the Judaizers? They believe in a version of salvation that includes their own personal efforts. Their efforts are, are uh, what stands between them and their salvation. It's not Christ. It's not Christ alone. It's Christ plus. Christ plus uh, baptism. Christ plus sacraments. Christ plus uh, belonging to the Mormon church. Christ plus this, that, and the other. And so this stuff still goes on today. Now, really quick, I want to look at what the gospel really is. Okay, because I mean that's really what matters, right? So uh, flip the side over to John chapter one, verse twenty-nine. Good. This is the gospel according to John the Baptist. He says, uh, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world." Gospel according to John the Baptist. Next slide. Gospel according to Jesus. This is one that you guys have probably all memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his, not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is gospel according to Peter. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. Gospel according to John but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And Paul, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things. Next slide again. Sorry, more Paul. Paul's just, he's, he's on a roll. Uh, moreover, I love this too, because this is a very uh, thorough presentation of what the gospel is. Uh, moreover, brethren, I, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, 
by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, which I also believed, received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, and then Paul sums it up on the next slide very well. This is, this is the Scripture that you really should memorize. This is one of those that like should be on one of the top of the list. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace are you saved, through faith. And it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. That just sums it up right there. So it's a free gift. Christ did what none of us could do. We can't keep the law. We, we know that. There's nothing we can do to keep the law. But Christ comes down, lives a perfect life in the flesh, and then willingly goes up on that cross to take the punishment we deserve upon himself that we might be saved. It, it, it blows my mind. And so, uh, moving on, this gospel is not of men. Verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Like I mentioned earlier, the Judaizers were basically accusing Paul of being a people pleaser. He had dumbed down the gospel and made it uh, uh, less demanding legally. You know, don't worry about the law. Christ died for your sins. They were accusing him of basically making it a seeker-sensitive gospel. And so verse 12, uh, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we see Paul, when he, when he got saved, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here coming up, when he got saved, uh, here's a man who really knew his faith. He didn't go seek out any of the apostles to get the gospel, to get things straightened out. Um, he wasn't a, a, a man who was commissioned by the apostles. He was actually commissioned straight by Christ. And so moving on, verse 13, for you have heard of my, and I'm sorry, I am cruising because I got to get through a whole chapter tonight. Otherwise, Galatians could take like months and months. So verse 13, for you've heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. That word profited uh, in the Greek, it carries with it this idea of chopping ahead. It, it, it carries this image of somebody with like, almost like a machete, blazing a trail. You know what I'm saying? Chopping through a jungle, chopping ahead. And here we have Paul, who is uh, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a teacher of teachers. I mean, if you were to list out the most notable scholars of that day, Paul would be somewhere right at the top of the list, probably just right under his teacher, Gamaliel. Okay? And this is the man who is persecuting the church, and uh, he sees Christians basically as an obstacle. He's They are standing in the way of the Jewish faith, and he is chopping ahead. He's going for it. Okay? And And... and and that's worth talking about a little bit because here we have Paul. Just imagine this guy. He is referred to as a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy was a teacher of teachers. He was a high scholar. He knew what he was doing. He's the type of guy, he would have had to, have the entire Torah, and by Torah I mean the first five books of the Bible, he would have had to have the whole Torah memorized by the age of 30. Seriously, I have a hard time memorizing like a few verses in a row, okay? The whole first five books of the Bible. I mean, imagine when you get to the begats, you know, <laughs> trying to memorize that. But he had that memorized. He would have also had uh, uh, an amazing command of the prophets. Uh, he also would have understood uh, inside and out the oral traditions of that day. 
And I want to take a little rabbit trail here because what are these oral traditions? Jesus was constantly rebuking the Pharisees over their traditions. Well, what were these traditions? Well, according to Jewish tradition, uh, going all the way back when Moses received the law, he not only received the first five books of the Bible and wrote them down, but God also gave him the oral Torah, the oral traditions. And this is something he did not write down. He passed it down through the generations, you know, father to son, teacher to student kind of thing. And again, this is their story. This is not actually what happened. There is no oral tradition that God gave Moses, okay? But as they believe, this oral tradition carried down through the centuries, was passed from father to son, and uh, we see that it evolved and got bigger and bigger as it went. And suddenly, they not only have the Torah, their first five books of the Bible, also the Pentateuch, some people call it that, but then they also had this huge amount of oral traditions. Paul would have been a master of those as well. He would have known those inside and out. Now, those oral traditions eventually did get written down. These oral traditions were almost like commentaries on the Torah. Okay, uh, In the second century AD, they were finally written down into uh, a decent-sized volume referred to as the Mishnah. And then over the next three centuries, more oral traditions popped up, which became the commentaries on the commentaries. So they call that one the Gemara, the commentaries on the Mishnah, which is the commentaries on the Torah. What? <laughs> but but that's you know that's a little bit about the oral traditions. I just want to follow that rabbit trail just a little bit. Um, and so Paul would have been a master of of those traditions as well. And so here we have in verse fourteen, I profit in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15, uh, Paul defends, continues to defend his character and his, his apostolic authority. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Really quick, heathen, what is that? Uh, that's King James terminology. You look that up. It just means Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? As you guys. So in other words, you guys are a bunch of heathen. Sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. <laughs> so anyway, um, I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. All that to say, Paul is, he's establishing his, uh, his story with these Galatians. He's defending himself. I mean, these guys are, are saying that he's an apostle man. He's kind of an inferior, secondhand apostle, if you will. And so he's just going to start from the beginning and he's going to establish his case that no, that's not at all what happened. I was actually commissioned by God. And we see this in the book of Acts, how this all went down. You know, Paul, he needed, uh, uh, he, w he went to Caiaphas, 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 and he got some letters uh, to go up to Jerusalem and visit the synagogues. I'm sorry, not to Jerusalem, Damascus, to go to Damascus, visit all the synagogues, round up all the Jewish Christian believers and bring them back up to Jerusalem for trial. Okay. And we know that on his way up there, something crazy happened, and there was this blinding flash of light. Paul's knocked to the ground. His uh, Some guys are with him, 
They see the light, they hear a voice, but Paul actually understands what this voice is saying. And it's like, Paul, well, I, I keep saying Paul, Saul at the time. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you, Lord? And it's Jesus. He says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And, I mean, if you can imagine, just, I mean, Paul's mind is blown. Okay? He just spent his whole adult life fighting God, persecuting God's people. And now he's, he's realizing, I'm an enemy of God? I, I, I thought I was a superstar. I mean, the whole nation respects me. Everybody respects me. I'm Paul. I'm Saul of Tarsus. You know? And, and I'm the guy that's defending the faith. I'm doing all these great and mighty things. And he comes to find out that he's actually God's enemy. Once, what once was his badge of honor is now his badge of shame. And so he's, I mean, he's destroyed, right? Um, well, he uh, asked the Lord, well, what would you have me to do? And uh, Jesus says, uh, get up and go into the city and find Judas. Go, go to somebody's house named Judas, okay? So Paul lifts his head off the ground, and what? He's blind. So like, his whole world is being destroyed right now. Now he can't even see. Okay, and we know from the scriptures that blindness is some kind of a parable that Jesus uses often. You know, people that claim that they know, claim that they can see, but really they're blind. And here Paul is now a living parable. He's both spiritually and physically blind, straight from the Lord God himself. Uh, and so he has to be led by hand into the city to uh, Judas's house, Simultaneously, you have Ananias, who gets a visit from Jesus as well. And Jesus basically tells him, uh, go down Straight Street and find Judas's house, and there you're going to find Saul, the one who used to persecute the church. And I want you to pray for him. And if you can imagine, you know, it's kind of like Jonah, you know, I want you to go to the Ninevites, go, go to their city of Nineveh, and uh, tell them that judgment's coming. You know, Time to a post and have a giant fish slap him. Sorry, for all those that watch Veggie Tales. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, Ananias is terrified. He's thinking, no, you know, I don't want to do this, but he does. Reluctantly, he goes and he prays for Paul and something like scales fall from his eyes. I have no idea what that even means. What is that? Like reptile scales? I don't know. But something falls out of his eyes and he gets his sight back. What does he do? Does he go and seek out the apostles? Because, guys, he's the scholar of scholars. He's the teacher of teachers. You would think a guy like this would immediately be like, i got to figure out where I went wrong. i got to go talk to the top guys of who was once my enemies and find out what what the truth is. Where, where did I miss it? Who is this Messiah? Where is he in the Old Testament? And he doesn't do that. No, he disappears. He runs off into uh, Nabataean Arabia and hangs out there for three years in the desert. Some people believe he was hanging out in a cave. I don't know if we have any evidence for that, but whatever. He was there, okay? He was somewhere in Nabataean Arabia in the desert for three years, learning from the scriptures and from God himself. And then he finally goes up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter. At this point, it's not to be commissioned. Christ commissioned him. He wasn't sent out by man. He was sent out by God. But he goes to Peter to check his gospel. So he goes and hangs out with Peter for 15 days and makes sure he's got the story straight. He ends up meeting with James as well. And then he goes out into ministry. Um, and so, yeah, all that to say, a couple things. Christ was the one that commissioned Paul, and that was the big point he was trying to make to the Galatians. Uh, you know, I didn't have some weird group of churches send me out. It was Jesus Christ himself who commissioned me. And secondly, I went to the most respected apostles and checked my gospel with them, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They approved. From here, that's the end of, of this chapter, chapter 1. 
chapter 2, he continues defending his gospel and he gets a little bit more intense with his arguments. But again, it's, it's his gospel. So it's chapters 1 and 2 are more personal. And so chapter 2, he continues down that road defending his gospel. Anyway, all that to say, you know, we talked about the gospel today. I know there's going to be a lot of people listening online to this when I post it up there. So I'm going to post this as a podcast. Um, what we can take away from this is, yes, you guys are all sinners. You're all sinners, right? Every one of you have broken God's laws. You have told lies. You have stolen things. Uh, you perhaps might have looked at somebody and lusted. Okay? We've all taken God's name in vain in various ways. Okay? Uh, the wages of sin is death. When we have crossed God like that, uh, one sin is enough to condemn us before a holy and just God. But Christ came down and he willingly went up on that cross. He, worked, he lived a perfect life, didn't sin once. And he lives this, and he goes up on that cross willingly with all that punishment, all that severe pain, and he takes the punishment upon himself paying for the sins that we've committed. You go back to the Old Testament, all these guys, praise God for the sacrificial system, because it was so horrific. It it teaches some pretty serious messages. You know, the, the Jews just had to keep over and over and over, either taking a perfect animal from their flock or purchasing one, taking it to a priest, placing their hand on the head of this animal, well, the priest cuts its throat and they confess their sins over it while it dies slowly under their hand. And, and, and that illustrates how serious sin is. But yet, as we see, Hebrews 10.4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls or goats should take away sins. Now, we, we can't attain salvation through these things. Right? It's Christ and Christ alone. He's what did it. He even said, you know, it is finished to, to Telestai. That's what they stamped on your document uh, when you were let out of prison. Or what they stamped on documents when you were finished paying off your debt. To Telestai. Paid in full. Awesome. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so I'm going to end with a couple more scriptures. Uh, flip over to Romans. Good. But God commanded, commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall all be saved. I said all. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Go to the next one. This one's from the Old Testament. This was hundreds of years before Christ was born. And Isaiah says it this way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's sobering. Go to the next one. To him give all the prophets witness. See, Peter's pointing back at the prophets. I'm sure he had Isaiah in mind when he was saying this. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sins. And the last slide, again, love it. For God so loved the world. This is Jesus speaking, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the good news. That's what we're going to be focusing on over the next few weeks. Galatians, is it by works? Is it by grace? Thank you. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you and we praise you for this opportunity uh, to read your word. Uh, We recognize that, that there are many countries in the world where Your precious word cannot really be read in public. You can't just go to a public building and read the Bible out loud without ending up in some kind of trouble. And we praise you that we still live in a country that's free enough to do that. 
Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Paul, you used Paul to write the book of, of Galatians. There's so many gems in there, and we praise you for that. We thank you that you bring us uh, that comfort, that peace of knowing that Christ did it all. Another thing, Father, um, <clears throat> way off the subject, but I know that uh, I don't know much about what happened, but I know that some really nasty tragedy happened today where three gunmen shot up a bunch of people. I believe 10 people, 12 people died. Father, we just ask you that, uh, that your mercy and your grace would be going out to that community right now and loving on those families, those who have lost loved ones, friends. Um, it's, a, it's a nasty situation, Lord. Uh, God, we just, we just pray that you would be there for them. We pray that the gospel would be loud and clear through all of this and that somehow you would bring good from all of this, uh, this bad. We also pray, Father, that um, there wouldn't be any, any uh, lies or mistruth spread about this situation as usually there is when things like this happen. Uh, we praise you, Father. We thank you. May you bless us all with a safe ride home. And everything that is of you that was spoken tonight, may you seal it upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I'm going to stop right there, uh, obviously. Uh, next week, uh, we're either going to look at Galatians chapter 2, or I might post a different podcast. I guess it depends on how things roll out here. But either way, um, yes, I've been having some really rough times right uh, the last month now, getting podcasts out in a timely weekly fashion. Uh, I've never, ever in my entire life experienced such stressful uh, uh, busy times. Uh, with the business that I run, I've been working six-day weeks, plus preparing uh, teachings for the church, uh, this church in Berthoud, Colorado, Calvary Chapel, Berthoud. It's, it's been a mess. I've been putting in nine, ten-hour days and working on Saturdays. I, I just don't even know which way I'm going anymore. <laughs> but uh, at this point, I do have uh, many teachings recorded with Galatians. Uh, I've got some other podcasts in the works too. So um, I'm really hoping to be able to put out one a week here uh, from this point forward. That is my hope. That's my prayer. And so uh, I love you guys and we'll see you next week. Sing it out loud, declaration.